Just deal with the racist, treat the pet, shut up, keep doing your work. Is the- Welcome to the Seven Summit Society podcast. We're a team of veterinary professionals dedicated to collaboration, mentorship, and great practice culture. We will inspire, educate, and thrive together with you to build a better future for practice ownership. We want to change the perception of what it means to own a veterinary hospital. It is financially attainable. It can happen with work-life balance, and it can be on your own terms. Join us now. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 7S Society podcast. Today, I have Danielle Lambert on with me. Hello. <laughs> well, I want to know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, I'm talking to future Cody right now to go look okay. up in, in three years, and I'm going to go to my iPhone, and I'm going to type in white privilege veterinary medicine into the iTunes uh, <laughs> podcast store, and I'm going to see if any other result comes up. I'm really curious to see if there will ever be another podcast <laughs> that's uh, veterinary medicine. I I hope so because in a industry that you know is somewhere between I have 97 98 percent of of veterinarians like are are white is basically what you end up seeing. There's only like a 3% minority. Yeah. If there is ever an industry that should have that title, like white privilege in (laughs) industry or white privilege in pharmacy, um, veterinary medicine is probably the top of the top list. Okay. So let's, so obviously uh, today, June, I don't even know what date is the fourth, um, 2020. June 4th. Um, the, the world is a very wild and confusing place. Uh, Absolutely. I wanted to start talking about this with a, just like a story of, of me and my wife from the other day. Okay. So. Sure. We were just talking and I'm like, for context, I'm from the, the, the whitest part of Canada, <laughs> from the whitest town. Uh, it went to the whitest university for my undergraduate, uh, in my vet school, there was 83 of us, uh, 82.5 of, of, of the 83, uh, were, were white. Uh, we had one, uh, young lady that was from the, 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 our Northern territory. So she, uh, was a nook, um, it was it was inc- incredibly white background. I'm in agriculture. Um, the town that I live in is 93% white. Uh, mm-hmm. In agriculture, I do not have a any besides white clientele. Uh, agriculture is is primarily white up here, so I have nearly no context in terms of of um, a lot of what is going on on in the US right now and across the world. But we were but this podcast is about privilege. So I was telling my wife stories about times when I felt embarrassed in school. Mm. And the list was was tiny. I was right. telling stories about like one time I accidentally wore the wrong pants and I was and I had spilled diesel on them and I was worried all day that somebody would smell the diesel on my pants. Like I was worried about that. Or another time a couple of girls in my biology class like had this this rue of uh me coming over to help one of them and and another one had like shoved some paper into my back wrangle tight jeans wrangler pockets and and they were laughing at me because i was going back and forth and i felt that i was like helping them because i was good at biology and they were just they were just making fun of me because they had pranked me and and she's like okay and and more my wife is like any (laughs) other stories and i'm like no that's like all i can think about like that that was probably the only time that i was in quote bullied and she's like you are absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> Tell like, me more about your struggles, right, Cody. Yeah, exactly right. I was I was not bullied. I was not. I I told her I'm like I think the most that I like had any sort of social anxiety was in gym class because I I wasn't 
I wasn't like a, a sports person, right? So, <laughs> so and, and that lasted, we had to go to, to gym till grade 10. And then I didn't do like the higher level gyms. I just did mm-hmm. what was required. So I basically had like one period, one semester in my high school where I felt slightly uncomfortable just because I wasn't good at, at most of the students. <laughs> and, then, and then my wife's telling me her stories, right? Just as, right. as, as, a, as a woman. So, so not even the dichotomy of race, just the dichotomy of, of gender. And like her, like she, she could write several encyclopedias of, <laughs> oh, of <yeah. laughs> oppression and, and being bullied. And, you know, there, there was times where her friends were ostracized her for, for years. She was one of the first like girls in her friend group uh, to hit puberty. And she like her posture even today is a result of her trying to hide her boobs when she was a teenager, right? She like, (laughs) she like crouches over so she doesn't stand normally to hide her her boobs because she got made fun of by boys (laughs) constantly when she was a teenager. And then I'm thinking like about like, I have gotten every job that I've ever applied for. And that's not even just like, that's not an exaggeration. Every mm-hmm. single job that I have ever applied for from the time that I was 15 years old to now, I have gotten with ease, like handed to me on a platter, whether that was at, at, at a, a local vet clinic or at a, at a horse stables or at a pig barn or a dairy barn or every job. <laughs> I remember when I moved, like I finished my undergraduate before I got into vet school and I applied to, to a whole bunch of different jobs. I got every single one that I applied to and same thing after vet school when I was applying for jobs after vet school I got every single job every one of them yeah that's my life yeah and so. I, I think but like those are some <laughs> that's my life so <laughs> this podcast is just about the struggles of cody krillman they're, very, <laughs> they're elaborate <laughs> this one time but, this lady yelled at me in a parking lot <laughs> but i think okay so i think this is a good place for us to start right because i think first and foremost really thinking about um about kind of you know it, it you know just the advantage of not facing this in any in any way shape or form not having to spend every single day facing oh you know are people judging me because of my race i'm uh, is, am I in fear of my life because of my race? Things like that. We've never had to have that thought process, right? I think something really poignant that happened recently for me that forced me to really reflect on this is that um, my best friend is Egyptian, but she can, conf- you know, she confuses people because they don't know what that. It's basically people love to just ask what she is, which is a whole other fun thing that we don't get to get asked every single day. Like, right. hey, what are you? And you're like, uh, you know, Egypt is in <laughs> Africa. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And so she's been my best friend since we were 11. I think that has always kind of, she was my only white, uh, she was my only non-white friend. I grew up in a town that was 97% white. I was just Googling it while you were listing off your demographics. Um, And she has always kind of helped me see a little bit more, but something poignant happened recently where we both got pulled over separate times, but both got pulled over, um, for the same exact reason, because we both <laughs> didn't put our front license plates on um, in California. They seem to really care about that. So we both got pulled over for the same exact reason. She was fined and given like a, all sorts of, it cost her like a grand basically of, of everything to fix. Right. And while it was happening, there was a black man that saw it happening and stopped and started recording her being pulled over. Right. And I was like, what? And she was like, she, as somebody that, you know, we grew up in such a white place, that was a crazy experience for her, for a black man to stop and start recording. Right. And she, and I don't, also, I don't know where this is the one black man in Orange County, California, by the way, because that's also statistically, (laughs) but it was a a poignant moment because then I get pulled over, same exact reason a couple weeks later, because I 
have the blind white privilege of my best friend tells me she gets pulled over for this. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe I'll eventually address the fact that my license plate isn't on. Right. Right. And I also double down on the fact that my stepdad is a, we don't, I don't talk about my stepdad very frequently because he's not in veterinary medicine, (laughs) but my stepdad's a police lieutenant outside of Boston. So I always have the extra added privilege of being a cop's kid. So I get pulled over and you know, he, he kind of talks to me. I play, I, I, I play the dumb white girl card. Don't tell me you said, you said I, my, my daddy is a cop too. I, I you have, you don't say it like that. There's a, nuance, <laughs> okay? There's a nuance of how you bring it up. <laughs> okay. And it's like, I, I, I just kind of bring up, you know, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm so sorry. I still have my Oregon ID from when I lived in Portland. Right. And so he sees my Oregon ID and he immediately goes, oh, my daughter just started going to school at Portland State. And so all of a sudden, this this white cop sees me as instead of an other, he sees me as his daughter. Right. And immediately, I don't think I even, I'm not even positive if I brought up the cop thing with him. Right. I Because sometimes this is the thing is it's a, it's a, get out of jail free card literally but being white is too right. and especially a white woman because white woman tears are are pure magic in a police situation right. and so it it really was poignant to me that he just was like oh, okay sweetie you know what go to the police station show them that you put your front plate on and um they're gonna have you pay this fine but it'll just you just pay it online it's no big deal and that was the experience versus getting being like filmed by somebody and getting a fine and like nothing crazy happened to Jasmine, thankfully, but just the different that's enough of a nuance yeah, that I was like, absolutely. he saw me. It's more that he specifically saw me as his daughter and relatable right, right off the bat that made me really sit with this and start kind of thinking about it. And I think the biggest thing that when you you reached out to me and we were like, should we talk about this? One of the biggest things that I wanted to make sure we kind of brought up is that I think as people who are hard workers and, and white and entrepreneurial, I think we almost have a important duty to discuss as, as white entrepreneurs, <laughs> yeah. the fact that we always are just like sounding off this message of just, oh, I I work hard, right? And that's why we're successful. And that's been a big sticking point for me in this. That's one of the biggest challenges I had in the last, like, it's been about like two years that I've really dived into like personally what this means to me. Um, Like, I'm not going to act like this has been some like longstanding thing. You know, I've always, I've always been mindful of the fact that you know, if my platform at Snout School is about women, I wanted it to be about all women and I've tried to be inclusive and things like that. But personally, that was the hardest thing for me because to hear that you might have gotten something special because of how you look, like you get every single job because of how you look. I just kind of was wondering, like, now that you've kind of realized that, how does that feel for you? Yeah. So I think, you know, it's, in terms of the an illustration of of what I feel, there there's this this video. It, it's an older video that um, takes place out on a football field, right? Mm. And it, it's a line of of college kids, uh, women and men, uh, that are that are on this line. And and a coach walks up, and he has a hundred dollar bill, right? And there's a finish line yep. at the end of the football field. So he said, the first person that crosses the line is going to get this hundred dollars. So everybody perks up, everybody's super excited. And then he starts uh, listing off a bunch of things. So he says, if you grew up in a household that had both parents take two steps forward. So then, then, then we start to see this divergence in, in terms of background. Right. And, and then there's these, these kids that are, that are, haven't realized what's going on yet so they take the most obnoxious steps forward right it's not like they just take a normal step forward they now see this advantage of of getting closer to this hundred dollars so they're taking the biggest steps physically possible and then the next question (laughs) how many of you grew up with a dad in the house and then how many of you uh went to a private school how many of you are uh, got into school on um, 
the, it's like academic merit, not sure. athletic merit. So, so the, these, these kids are a subset of the kids are halfway down the field before they start realizing, Oh, I understand what's going on there. So then the coach stops everybody and he gets anybody that, that has taken steps to turn around. And, and there you have a subset of the population that is still standing on the line that, that didn't right. grow up in that solid household, that didn't have access to better education, that didn't have access to uh, private tutors, that had to worry about, about food. Like that was one question, like how many of you right. ate three meals a day? Right. As as your brain is developing and 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 you're trying to to grow and and understand life, that that cal- it's so crazy that calories is a, is a restriction just based off of, of, of where you right. were born, and people turn back and they say that and the coach says this doesn't mean that that the people on the line don't get to run this race. Everybody gets to run the, this race, but if we started at the same point. You white kids uh-huh, would get uh-huh. smoked in this uh-huh. race, absolutely smoked, and and that's I guess how how I view the entire situation. It's right. This is not do that at a veterinary conference, <laughs> right? Absolutely. So in all seriousness, like uh, if you line 100%. people up or at a veterinary school, even like that's where I I have to jump in on this because I've been talking about this with my, you know, you, you joke about my, my bro veterinary brothers. Right. Right. I think of how, I I mean, I don't want, it's like, I'm not going to say veterinary school was easy for my brother. It was hard. Right. Like he worked hard, but again, that's like, I don't want to, you can't make excuses for the situation. And you need to kind of think about the fact that my brother was somebody who, had the advantage of growing up around somebody who was a doctor and he had the advantage of, Oh, you want to work at our, our, the veterinary hospital so you can get experience. Oh, your dad owns a hospital. Right. Um, I read a story from a, um, a black veterinary student, um, Dr. Shauna that was basically saying how she tried to intern as like a high school student at a veterinary clinic and they were like, oh, we don't have any jobs. And then <laughs> lo and behold, she comes in the next time and her a white classmate is, is right. working there, right? Yep. And it's one of those things where, you know, I think as, again, people that are, are driven entrepreneurial types and we work hard and we've, we've, you know, I've seen you grind and grind and grind on, on what you've done and what you've built. And so while obviously that deserves all the respect in the world, all of a sudden you're like, wait imagine what it would be like to wonder if you just you weren't hired because of your your merit or your skin all the time and have to live with that like weird paranoia because like as a woman I think about these things right where I'm like oh my god am I not being or like taken seriously because I'm a a woman or is it because my idea sucks it's like that second little voice in your head that you always have and so I thought I was thinking about that with my brother and I'm just like you know, not to throw him under the bus, but I mean, he's just like a white boy in Connecticut that grew up with a dad that was a doctor, had that opportunity. And then when he went to apply to vet school, he went to the vet school that my dad went to. And like, you know, people on the board, you know what I mean? The guy on the board is friends with my dad. So, you know, you see his name come up and again, not to discredit, like my brother is smart and capable and amazing, but like that is an advantage when the guy on the board sees your name and knows your dad. Like that's just, you can't fight with that. That's just an advantage. And I think I wanted to bring that up because it's the hardest thing for me to personally, that was like the hardest thing for me to personally stomach because I didn't even grow up. I'm older than my siblings and I grew up where my parents were back in school, right? And my dad was in veterinary school and raising me as a single dad initially and then married my stepmom, right? And so we were poor as all hell, right? But we were like, poor as all hell, but, you know, I like still at the end of the day had a safety net of, you know, my parents' parents were well off. You know, you have like this extra padding of a safety net and like my parents' parents were entrepreneurs. So you see that modeled and you have these other advantages. So I don't know. I wanted to kind of bring that up with you just because I think it's such a critical thing, you know, I, you know, with 7S Society, we're, we're always like, hey, you all get the DVM and you all have the same DVM, right? And you have the same opportunities. And 
all of a sudden, suddenly that messaging starts to not quite sit right when you really start to reflect on it. Absolutely. In terms of like mentorship from professors, mentorship within the within the the veterinary community there's right. this uh it's from freakonomics it talks about um oh, th- this is just this is just a- flashbacks <laughs> from that yes <laughs> but this is just about uh hockey players and uh that the the vast majority of hockey players are born in january and february so for the sole reason is when they were uh, little yep. when they were little kids <laughs> they were just a few months more advanced so they got more coaching <laughs> This is exactly what we're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's like little built-in things like that. And I think it's important to recognize, you know, like I think it's hard for people to hear the term. I think it's hard for white people to hear the term white privilege, right? And I think it's important to realize it does not mean that you have not faced other forms of discrimination, classism or sexism, things like that. They still exist. But it's so important to realize that there are so many little nuances, literally that one, right? Like that's (laughs) maybe maybe the one struggle that white men face is when they are born and how it will affect their hockey career. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So that's that's the exact point. White Canadian men in the struggle of when you were born and how it will affect your hockey career. And I was born in December, so I didn't have a chance. That's why uh, that's what that's why gym class was such hell for me because I was so much younger. Than right, me. right. And it's like, I love, you know, and I, I'm somebody that I have a dark sense of humor and I'm always going to laugh at this stuff. Um, but it is when you really stop and pause, it gives you, it, it really gives you a lot to kind of uh, think about, right? Like I, I don't know, like I've always struggled with this just working in veterinary industry, right? It's like, am I... I, you know, you you always wonder just kind of knowing who I know because of my dad building a practice when I sit down in a meeting with pharmaceutical uh, representatives, right? And we're talking like high level um, industry people that are, you know, almost like, you know, step under sea level kind of people. And they look at my last name and they say, oh, you're, you're you know, your dad sells a, oh, he sells a lot of Brevecto, right? And I'm like, Oh yeah, that's my dad. And again, it's that it's almost the same thing as that cop looking yeah. at me and saying, "Oh, my daughter goes to school in Portland." Yeah. And it brings that familiarity, and I think that is as as you know, white leaders in our space, we need to come to terms with the fact that we almost that's like maybe the biggest benefit we have is that like familiarity because there are other people like us in our space. Um, yeah, awesome. Yeah. So recognizing that, you know, I would say earlier iterations of myself would be, would look at this situation and think, well, I'm a nice person, right? Oh God, that's a big one. Yep. (laughs) I, I, I easily can have wonderful conversations with the the black homeless man in downtown Chicago, right? A real, real world situation of of me, Cody going to downtown Chicago. I can't walk to the (laughs) 7-Eleven without without making friends, right? It's just- Right, right. Dan and I were on your case the whole time about it. So I can- (laughs) (laughs) So, so- that that that's me and that's how also that i raise my kids in terms of like mm-hmm. i i did this facebook post about emerson realizing this week that his friend down the street is black he had no concept right. that there was black people or white people and that's that's not good enough on the on the surface layer it like it's it's good that he doesn't hate people of different colors right that it's not right. like a thing that that he right. in, obviously but it, it has to go that next step of of my children realizing of that they're starting the race from a different spot on the line to, right. to, towards the finish line and that's the only thing that that i guess i i can i can do within my own family structure is to try to teach them that actually have those conversations. Right. Right. I think, I think that, so I've been, um, when, you know, when I kind of really started to realize I was going to need to do like work on this and reflect on this, uh, you know, I, I, the first book I had read was white fragility and I'm revisiting it right now because, um, I love to, 
you know, read a book, a physical book, but sometimes listening to an audio book and taking notes helps me kind of really um, figure out how I'm going to take it and disseminate it. Like if I'm preparing a talk for something, right? And so I was like, you know what? I think this white fragility book would be a great one to take and disseminate and put out onto social media because I see a lot of people, you know, um, sharing resources and things like that right now. And I'm just a super practical. And I'm like, is everybody going to actually go read that book? Right. And so that, that book really touches on exactly this concept, right? It's that argument of, you know, like I was taught to teach everybody or or to, to treat everybody the same. Right. So we're, we're taught, you know, I treat everyone the same. We're taught that that is, you know, enough basically as white people, I think, right. It's like, be nice to everybody. Okay. And that's, that's that. But it talks about in that book, how that actually stops us from having conversations about this, about, you know, um, supporting, you know, engaging conversations about it or having conversations about the experiences of people who are not white. Um, and so I think it's so important, like, it must have been hard for you to kind of almost like ruin your ruin your child's innocence on this of being like, uh, so this there's something that I gotta tell you. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I I I think that's exactly where this kind of has to start is realizing that just being nice to everybody actually isn't enough. Um yeah. Yeah, that it's hard. <laughs> yeah, it's you know, thinking about what is what is a solution, right? And and I'm sure we'll yeah, get into yes. like what are some immediate things that that people within the profession that are listening to this can can take immediate action to do. That um, you know that's one thing. But what does it take as a as a society? I, I don't think anybody has has an answer, and that's <laughs> that's where I've landed on. You know, there there is oh, some yeah. things with my own control that I can control, and that's the type of humans that I raise. And that's important, right? right? That, right. that, that part of it, if my kids can look back at that starting line sooner in life, uh, to be able to recognize that, then that will have major implications in how they move through, through the, the rest of their life to listen more, to, to, take more action to really understand that just being a nice person is is not enough. Right. It kind of it's it's a good, you know, obviously it's like great start, but you have to kind of think a little bit more critically. And I think that is also something to kind of consider a big a, a big thing that I'm seeing in veterinary medicine right now specifically is a lot of people are saying you know, like, I just, I I love everybody. I'm compassionate. I, you know, this is hard for me. It's heartbreaking to see this. I don't know, you know, what else to say. Like a lot, a lot of white people are in this, this vortex of just focusing on, on that where it's like, Hey, like I'm a, I'm a good person and I'm, I'm going to keep, you know, treating everybody, treating everybody well. And they think that that is kind of the, the end of the conversation. Right. Mm -hmm. And that, is something um, so there? There's this woman on um, Instagram at uh, Rachel Cargill. So Rachel R A C H E L Cargill C A R G L E. Um, so she is a black writer that shares a lot of different resources, and she posted something that really made me think about this exact kind of idea, right? This like well-intentioned, well-meaning white person that like just loves everybody and is trying their best, right? She posted something about this term called, um, it's an acronym called DAVRO, um, where you deny, attack, reverse, reverse victim, uh, oppressor is what it stands for. But basically what it means is, you know, statements like, um, like she uses an example in here, like a statement from, you know, like go eat on people. They're trying their best be, being as nice as possible as a start. Don't punish a toddler's stumbles as he works uh, hard to walk. Right. And while I empathize with white people that are feeling this exact struggle right now. Right. Cause like I posted the other day about like, I felt like a moron repeatedly. I have been wrong on this. I like, I'm trying to figure this out and I want to support other 
white people in trying to have these hard discussions. Like, I'm so excited you wanted to talk about this. I think having these hard discussions and reflecting for us is super important. But at the same time, while we do that, I think that's something that we can do, you know, as a first step. That's something that we need to do within the white community, which sounds like a weird phrase to say, but within the white community, I think that's something that we need to do. But at the same time, we need to not go to people of color, especially black people in America right now. We need to not go to people of color and say, you know, go easy on us. We're trying because that is exactly this concept of of Davro where it's like, you know, denying, like, we can't be perfect immediately, attacking, like, you you know, attacking, um, like, you're doing this and making me feel bad, right? And then, like, you becoming the victim, right? Like, I'm heartbroken. I'm, I'm heartbroken. I was trying. You know what I mean? Right. Um, the fact that there's this term that exists for white people trying to make black people feel bad about their attempts at being anti-racist is like a whole nother, oh God. <laughs> but it's just something I want to kind of bring up because I, I think people are so incredibly compassionate, right? People in our space. And they, they are, you wouldn't be in veterinary medicine. You, you don't come into veterinary medicine because you just don't care about anything. You care about pets. But I think that we need to increase our compassion on people in veterinary medicine and people in our communities and reflect upon what message we're sending to them when we say, oh, like I'm heartbroken and I'm trying, but don't actually take action, if that makes sense. Yes. That concept of people as being, okay, so we'll back it up. The, uh, when I'm, I guess I've been thinking a lot about veterinary brands in this situation as well. Yeah. So right from the top down, right, right from pharmaceutical companies through to corporates, uh, corporate consolidators, through to service providers, through to product providers, to people with personal brands, right? And right. and I've been kind of on this kick about about um, obsessively looking up mission statements. Because this is going to be something that we're talking about uh, with our our seven S crew uh, yeah. later on, right? So, so I've been looking up, and and a few things that I've that I've kind of noted. So, first off, fifty percent of the mission statements in veterinary medicine, whether that's vet clinics or mm-hmm. or service providers, are just flat out lies. Like they are just complete untruths that the the entire organization does not believe in. That they. Are- have just created it because it sounds good, right? Because they they think that's what clients want to hear. And that's not what a mission statement should be. No, It it should reflect the core values, right? And then I see a lot of mission statements, obviously, about pets. So the best possible care for for pets, um, which I I understand that makes Mm -hmm. sense, right? It's an animal health industry. So I understand why mission statements or core values have, have, are, are heavily pet centric to do everything that is possible to improve the, the health of a pet, to do every, to that no pet is left behind. Sure. I think that's like Banfield's, uh, abbreviated Banfield's mission statement <laughs> that, that, that like all pets deserve, deserve medical treatment is essentially it. Sure. And I'm like, what does it, what would it mean in veterinary medicine if you had a, a veterinary clinic that didn't talk about animal health within its mission statement, but talked about people? Yeah. Like, like that, that, that's, that's kind of what, what we mean right now that like, mm-hmm. what, what, what does it look like if we're actually putting people first? Right. And that could have a greater positive impact, obviously, on the thing that we love love as well is 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 pet health pet welfare animal welfare animal health it's it's just that there there just doesn't seem to be enough people focus there doesn't seem to be enough humanity in a lot of of what i'm seeing (laughs) when i'm going through mission statements and isn't that important well and i mean this is nothing earth shattering i think right we see when we really think about the problems in veterinary medicine and when I think about white privilege in veterinary medicine and what it means as leaders in a veterinary hospital, right? At the ground level, what does that actually mean? And I think of the stories that I have heard 
in the last few days when I was like, hey, you know, uh, on the Snap School account, we will put out, you know, your stories if you have a story you want to share. The amount of stories that were about pet owners saying, my dog doesn't like black people was intense. Now, veterinary behaviorists want to tell me all about how that might be a valid thing. And I'm not here to argue that. Um, you know, if, if, uh, like it's not a doggy racism <laughs> conversation, um, legitimately like the, the dog might've had a negative experience, right? Just like how there's dogs that don't like men. Right. Um, and so that's not what this is about, but what it's about is when that happened, when that conversation happened, what, what did you do to ensure that your team member was okay after hearing that? Or what did you do to educate the pet owner in the situation that, hey, you know, like that might be a real, you know, that might be a real genuine concern. But, you know, we we need to think about how we present that. Like you can't just be like, oh, <laughs> dog hates black people. You know, like yeah. that presentation is deeply inappropriate and and leadership needs to be mindful of how they are going to prevent that from happening to their people and you know that's uh, yeah and that's exactly what i'm speaking to in terms of right statement because if your mission statement is pet health first you don't have that conversation exactly you're like oh whatever treat the pet and treat the you know just deal with the racist treat the pet shut up keep doing your work is the is the mission statement (laughs) exactly that's exactly what i'm trying to say yeah that's and then and then internally then that also has those effects like like hey veterinarian hey vet tech hey assistant uh we know that was a really inappropriate situation but our mission is this pet's health first so you better just swallow it you just yeah oh my god that's like the really hard one for me right now to stomach and it's where so so on on Blackout Tuesday, uh, Cheyenne, that helps manage our social media, texted me first thing in the morning because she is just like so aware and conscious of how to do social media. And she was like, ooh, seems like a day we shouldn't, you know, post anything on 7S Society or, or what do we do, right? And I was like, let me think for a second because we're, we're leaders, right? We're, we, and we are champions of great team culture, right? And so to be silent to me means that you know, we're just not going to take any position. And it's like being silent in that situation. If a team member came to you with like, I felt really uncomfortable because this person kept saying how much the dog hates black people or like, is there anybody else on the team and stuff like that? And we just brushed it off. That's how it would feel as 7S Society to not say something. So I was like, let's just keep it simple and we'll do, you know, there's no space in veterinary medicine for racism, right? And like, just put that out. and. So quickly, I started to see vet clinics also asking, like, should we say something? Should we put something out, right? And so, so quickly, it became, how do we navigate this, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, from a social media standpoint, right? And having an opinion on social media as a brand is a scary thing to do. And some people might argue that it's like, I don't know, like some people might think you're just trying to like jump on a bandwagon and say something, right? And I'm sure there are people that are like that, but my intention with putting something out like that was exactly at the core of what you're saying. When I when I started to advise veterinary hospitals that I think they should share that on their page, I did it because I was like, the worst thing you're doing is filtering out racist clients that your team should not have to deal with, right? We talk a lot about, you know, in marketing, how to attract your ideal client. If your ideal client is somebody who is going to fall in line with the culture you're trying to establish for your your, um, practice, and if your mission statement is to actually take care of your veterinary team in addition to pets, you know, and put the team first, then putting messaging out there that helps you filter you know, and set expectations with people that like, this is not something we tolerate in our workplace. It's one going to help you, you know, um, open up these conversations with pet owners. And two, it's going to indicate to people that are looking for jobs in this space that like you are, 
you are going to go to bat for them. If you're willing to put that on social media, then you're not going to be the practice manager that when this person comes to you and says, you know, they want to see another doctor because I'm black, you're not going to be the person that says, just you figure it out. You know, you're going to do more. So I think that's where social media activism and having a voice on social media um, as leaders in this space um, or as employers in this space, that is, I think, at the very, you know, I mean, obviously I'm always biased to social media, right? Like I'm always going to be like, you know what, Cody, the answer is social media. Um, but uh, <laughs> but uh, I think that it's just about the, it's about the messaging. Like you're talking about mission statements, that's messaging. It's about the messaging and, and then backing it up with actions, right? Of course, yes. it's just a first step, but what are you going to do in practice to actually implement it? And it really is, it's not that hard. Everybody in veterinary medicine right now is trying to make it seem like it is so hard to figure out what to do right now. No, it's really pretty simple. Say there is no space in veterinary medicine for racism and follow that up with actions that indicate that you mean it. Absolutely. The the important key to that is also intent. And, exactly. And with this situation, and I also saw it with COVID, is intent matters and mm-hmm. intent is 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 everything. Because I, I'm a marketer. I totally get it. There's a bazillion different things that you could do as a skeezy marketer. Oh my God, to, yeah. <laughs> to, and that have been done in the veterinary space, in the non-veterinary space to capitalize on what's going on with, with say, we'll, we'll back out of what's going on right now with, with COVID, right? You, you, I, there's a thousand things we could have done as 7S. There's a thousand things that I could have mm-hmm. done, done as, as Cody Krillman Calvet, uh, to, to hawk products and, and do sure. cra- you know, all these crazy things, but that's not, that's not my intent. Right. And, and that's what, what matters in this situation is what is, what is your true intent? Because that will, will shine through that will show. And yeah, I think posting a black screen, uh, on on a Tuesday is, is not a great idea if you have an opinion on everything else. And in this one, Mm -hmm. you're just going to post a black screen. That doesn't make sense to me. That's not taking a stance. That's not doing a damn thing. And I know exactly what everybody is thinking that that has not taken a stance they are thinking how does this affect my brand right yes and so that is to me to me right like we go into this it's so easy as a brand to go into a self protective mode right and to say okay so if i put out that this this graphic on my vet clinic social media all of a sudden I'm going to, will I potentially lose business? Am I going to alienate people? But that's where exactly, you know, having core values as a business, having a real mission as a brand, if you know what those guiding principles are, then all of a sudden, if you put that out and you're like, oh yeah, hell yes, I'm putting this out because I don't want those people to come into my veterinary clinic, right? Or if you put out that message, but also are going to share educational materials and stuff, it's like, obviously the intent is there. It's not just a bandwagon thing to jump on and, and share. And I think that as you know, when we talk about being a, a veterinary brand, right? Like um, whether it's a personal brand or, you know, uh, a bigger, more general brand, I think we do have a, a get, a, we, we have a responsibility to use that platform for more than just selling stuff, um, whether it be veterinary services or continuing education, whatever you're selling, we have a responsibility to use that platform and do something with it <laughs> that is actually meaningful. Um, and I, I, I think that a lot of people go into a self, that self-protective mode though. Like it's, it's scary. Don't get me wrong. I've been like calling out the AVMA all week. Right. And yeah. so I, yeah, like, <laughs> I, I love, it. I love calling out the AVMA. I did it when they posted a thing. I'm super happy oh, I'm my in God. Canada. So I don't have to deal with the repercussions of Danielle. <laughs> oh my God. I, well, actually I was talking <laughs> to joking, somebody that joking, I don't want to know. It's funny. I was talking to somebody that was like, I want to do this for the Canadian VMA. Like they, and like, can, can I do this? I did not start that petition to be very clear. Yeah. I don't know who started that petition. If anybody does, I would please tell me. Um, but I, I saw the petition that was like basically just asking, Hey, AVMA come out and say, 
Black Lives Matter. No one, it's not like we've got to get past the idea that that's a political thing. Like this is a human rights issue. This is uh, who do you want? What side of history do you want to be on kind of question, right? And so it's not that complicated. The American Medical Association, so our our human doctor friends, put out a statement that was – Dr. Jessica Vogel saying was reading it to me yesterday when I was floating around in my pool thinking about my white privilege. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, she sent it to me though, but the American Medical Association came out and said, you know, like the black community got hit twice. Like COVID hit them harder and now they have this. Like we stand with them, you know, and black lives matter. Like they, that's a it's, look up the American Medical Association statement. It's not that hard to put something out there and say something, right? right? And the reason that I have been kind of bringing that up and bringing that up again is because it, it matters and leaders have a role, but it shouldn't, I, I think there is a risk with doing that, right? I put that out. I'm somebody who can pitch you know, marketing contracts to groups like the AVMA that could get me, you know, $75,000, $100,000 like easily, right? That's something that's within my reach. If I'm going to go at them, I'm risking, you know, that $100,000 contract. You think they're going to invite me to speak? Probably not. You think I'm going to be at their conferences anytime soon? They're like, no, this girl is annoying the living crap out of us is probably the, um, probably the, the uh, reaction. Or maybe I hope, I hope the reaction is, you know, being open-minded and seeing that I'm, I'm, I have the best interest of, of, everybody, I'm not even a member of the AVMA. I can't be because I'm not a veterinarian, but like I have the best interest of this community and I'm well-intentioned and yes, I'm going to be noisy and yes, I'm going to be loud and yes, I'm going to be direct. I am from outside Boston. I'm going to tell you what I think. <laughs> oh yeah, you're like you're like the perfect. I'm an East Coast like person. Perfect, I'm gonna yell. <laughs> no, you're the perfect storm of having the Boston anger, but the LA wokeness. You're- it's exactly it, right. It's like that East Coast West Coast blend of like I am going to bring this to you, and so I think that it is important to realize that that does come with risk, right? But it's so that's the tiniest price to pay compared to what black veterinarians are facing every single day. Absolutely. I I almost feel people are like thanking me and I feel freaking awkward about it, to be honest. I'm like, dude, it is just it. like posting something on social media is the smallest risk that I could possibly take. Oh, but 100%. And and I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I, I can't be, take the stance saying that if somebody doesn't post that, that a hundred percent means that they're just scared for their brand. I, 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 there's nuance, there's nuance in everything, but, but I, I feel that I have a pretty good understanding of general human nature. Uh, I have a really good understanding of business and I totally recognize that the vast majority of of a brand being silenced is fear of what their audience is going to right. say because I also felt it. I'm yeah. I, you know I'm I'm married to I'm married to a, a woke white woman. Uh, <laughs> I'm partnered with you in, in 7S. You know, I'm trying to be as 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 sensitive as I possibly can. And for me to make a statement on my social media who I would argue I have the most conservative following that oh, exists yeah, in yeah. the world. Um, yeah. At least in veterinary medicine, my, my, my 200,000 followers are as conservative as they come. And don't think for a second when I hit post, I didn't think there was going to be negative repercussions for Ugh, yep. saying what I said. I nearly shit my pants when, when the comments started coming in and I was like, oh, I said the right thing. Look at yeah. all that. Look at yeah. all this. Look at all this support. It's look not at all that these, hard. It's terrifying, white, but it's actually not that hard. And, yeah. Look at all these right. white conservatives agreeing with me. That's my entire personal brand is the, is the, the, is from the, the, the mid, you know, the, the mid of the country. Uh, sure. They, right. They, they are the complete demographic that a brand would worry about taking any sort of white privilege stance in this and they were exactly 100 supportive and then <laughs> and then it was all worth it 
when a single black female veterinary student left a comment thanking me like how right. is how is that not worth risking your whole personal brand when one person says thank you for exactly for standing up for us? that is that is worth it oh my god no having that impact like having having people say that kind of stuff to you where they're like, Hey, thank you. Like I didn't think anybody in veterinary medicine would ever talk about this. Right. Or when, um, I saw a vet clinic, I am so proud of them. I'm going to shout them out. Uh, Hannah at Cornerstone animal hospital shared with me that she shared that, um, that graphic that I was referencing and she shared the comments from the pet owners and it's stuff like, yes, that's my vet, animal and people compassion, true compassion. Or somebody shared yes, it. I saw that. Um, I love this. Somebody shared and said, um, you know, for many reasons, I have cried in the last few weeks. But when I picked Alpha up from his dental while thanking the vet staff, uh, I realized I truly trust them with every creature in my home. They have good morals and medicine. It's truly relieving. I can trust the things I love most with this amazing clinic. Hashtag Black Lives Matter. And it's like, when again, when we we are so afraid to say we care about our people, but it matters. It makes an impact on pet owners when they see that a vet clinic gives a crap about people. They feel they feel more trusting leaving their pet with you for the dental. I know that sounds insane to like make these all connect, but like these are signals that make people feel more comfortable, and that matters too. That's impactful. Yes, it. Uh, I, I get the worry about not having this overarching mission that pet health at all costs, because then you think that your clientele mm-hmm. is going to think that you have some other some other motivation. But when you care about humans first, it 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 all makes sense. Right. Oh. I know it's a lot, and I I will say I know I I am very again I'm direct, and I'm not going to apologize for that, and I'm going to call white people out, especially leaders. If you call yourself a leader in this industry, I that's where I do think you have a role to say something publicly, right? So if you were somebody who put stuff out about leadership, I think that is exactly where it is your role to say, hey, like I'm a leader, I'm a mentor. Okay, then I also. I'm going to stand up for everybody in this space and say something. That being said, I, I, yes, I'm going to call you out, but I'm also somebody that like, don't go bother your one black friend about this. Like, come talk to me if you want to discuss this, or if maybe you're even struggling with like the things that we've talked about today, like, okay, you know, but I did work hard and like, it's hard to hear, right? Like it's, it's hard to kind of hear that maybe you got an extra advantage. Um, although I love, love, love the, um, the story that you were telling. Um, I think that really is a good analogy, but like, I, I want to really clarify, I am not trying to bully people into saying something, but people who use their platform all the time that are confident and capable of using their platform for selling stuff. I think uh, if you are a leader, um, again, like man up, and and do it and you know come talk to me man up woman up <laughs> and come talk to me if you are scared of exactly how to try but just know overwhelmingly i love that like you said something um you know i love that nicks are standing up because overwhelmingly the, the you're you're mostly going to get good responses um yeah it doesn't i i just want to make sure really clarify that cuz i think it's what leadership truly means in our space and what true leaders are are you know, capable of doing. So what in the, in the short term, I guess I've been thinking also what, mm-hmm. what else, right? What else can we do? And I just want yeah. to, uh, to, to point people in this space. I've been thinking a lot of, of just, you know, myself and, and of course, veterinary medicine being my entire passion of, of what else can you do? So uh, pointing people towards the black DVM network, I think is a, is a great start. If you're sitting there thinking, what, what else can I do? Okay. I've, I've, I've made this, I'm I'm not going to stand for racism in my practice that of course that's, that's not, it doesn't end there. It's, it's not good enough. So uh, I think if we're passionate about the veterinary industry and we want to be leaders in the veterinary industry, supporting an initiative like the black DVM network is the exact right place to, to start. Um, they 
they have i feel so bad in terms of the 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 skeezy marketers that have been reaching out to them. I'm sure their inbox is full of people Mm -hmm. that wanting them to make comment or to being part, being Mm -hmm. interviewed for an article. So, so these other people can leverage, uh, look how woke we are, uh, asking (laughs) questions of the black DVF network. That is not what, what we should be doing. Um, we should be supporting them in the, in the the best ways that, that we can. So uh, sponsoring uh, some of their membership is something that they suggested. Uh, This, this is listening, right? So, so that's the the biggest take home. So listen, the the black DVM network has spelled out exactly how to support them. Don't, Mm -hmm. uh, don't call them to be on the podcast. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> to be on a podcast or yeah, to, to don't make them explain all of this to you yeah exactly, yeah exactly. exactly that's that's not their role but you could be a sponsor so if you're corporate and you you want to throw some dollar dollar bills throw throw it that mm-hmm. way if you are an individual and you want to sponsor uh a member uh, I think right now their membership is way too cheap. We need to talk to them about increasing their membership. It's like, <laughs> it's like $50 for a two-year membership. Uh, their founding membership was free. But what a great, amazing initiative uh, to support, uh, you, know, you know, to support the black people in our veterinary community uh, through, Absolutely. you know, through listening at that platform, give them a follow, uh, sponsor a member, become a, a sponsor of the entire network. This, this is this is one thing that they have asked, and and we should absolutely listen. And and then yeah. listening being the most important part. After that, like I said, is is under understand the situation, be sensitive, and what else you know? What else can we do? I couldn't imagine what it what equality in veterinary medicine would look like like what uh, i've been looking at i've been looking at like leaderships executives uh, board of directors yep. as well when i'm also looking at these companies <laughs> uh mission statements and of course it's exactly what you would expect right uh a avma has a a black gentleman uh on on the, the board an amazing individual uh but it is primarily white and of course, from the population demographics of veterinary medicine, I'm sure that looks like that makes sense, but there's not enough diversity in the leadership of a lot of absolutely. our brands, uh, a lot of the, the leading organizations, and, and there absolutely should be. So I don't, I, I of course don't know how to affect that change to true equality, but at least I understand that the inequality does exist does exist within the board of directors within these executive teams yep. and that should not be the case right right so i think you know getting involved like that um you know definitely supporting black dvm network um and i i really just think right now the you know and and we're going to be i should clarify so that that design we are putting it on a t-shirt we talked with Black DVM Network before we decided to do that. And we're going to be putting it on a t-shirt through Snout School and giving all the proceeds um, to that organization, um, minus a cut that goes to my designer, which is not something that she asked for, but she designed it. And I am also a huge supporter of, um, you know, artists in our, in our space. And I always want to be mindful of that. So I'm going to, I'm going to pay her for that. And I'm, I talked about that with black DVM network and they were supportive. Um, so I know people always like to get nitpicky on where's the money going. Right. And I'm like, I've got to pay my designer. I believe in that. I believe in supporting my people. Um, and then the rest of it is going to go to black DVM network because I think TR price is just doing great work to really elevate um, the black community on social media because, you know, it's no surprise that <laughs> it looks pretty white otherwise. Um, so, and you know, as a fellow content creator and entrepreneur, I just, that's felt like the right place for that money to go. Um, so I'm excited about that. And I, I think that absolutely getting involved in leadership is critical, but I think seriously, my biggest thing, because, you know, and this is why I wanted this, you know, episode to be about white privilege is look, look at your white privilege. Like, like that should be, you know, what we start with is get, get a little bit more educated on this. I mentioned the book white fragility. I think that's a really good place to start, but start 
start actually doing some critical thinking on this because again, um, you know, our, our black colleagues are not responsible for educating us and we need to, to do better and understand their experience as much as we can. Well said, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have enjoyed this so much. I think this was an, uh, you know, it was, uh, it's one of those things that it's like a weird, awkward thing to always approach as a white person, but I think we need to rip that bandaid off and get over it. So thank you. Thank you for doing that with me. Um, and I, I hope that we have just inspired some reflection. Yes, exactly. There's, there's no question. And be sh- Make sure that you guys feel comfortable in asking Danielle or myself any questions. So just reach out to us on social media. If you want to have a conversation around it, we are more than welcome uh, because that is important as well to, to just be able to have open conversations that, that nobody on either side, uh, when we're talking about the white privilege, should, should feel a victim in this, uh, to, to get upset at at. At, at anybody is 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 not the, the the right way forward it is that self-reflection it is listening it is having real conversations and and we know that the vast majority of the intent is pure so there there will be a way forward Oh, we can only hope. So I hope this is the beginning of more conversations on this but thank you thank you so much for uh, doing this with me today. Hey, we'll see you guys. Bye guys.